My name is Yi, as uh, Phil mentioned. Um, I've been with Stepping Stone for like, I'll say seven or eight years. So it's been a lot longer than I, I ever thought I'd be with Stepping Stone. Um, Stepping Stone is where I came to faith. Um, uh, that was like five, six years ago. And um, yeah, it's GLC holds a very dear place in my heart because of that. Um, yeah, so today um, we're continuing on in our sermon series in First Thessalonians. Um, you can see that the topic and title for today's sermon is uh, the second coming, um, a promise for a resurrection. And it's based off um, First Thessalonians chapters four and five. Um, so a little disclaimer, when I first joined the preaching lab and first week, you know, we kind of met each other, talked a little bit, um, uh, talked about like our background. And then we decided who is going to do which passage in Thessalonians. This was not the passage I wanted to do. Um, you know, like the second coming. I'd rather preach on like love or holiness. Like these other things were felt so much easier for me. But um, I think it was ultimately a blessing for me because I think I learned a lot through this study. Um, and it's a lot of stuff that I'm still digesting and processing and trying to like make real to myself. And I hope that, um, you know, as, as I like share this message with you guys that it'll be helpful for you um, as it has been for me. Uh, so, it's not working. Oh, okay, there we go. Uh, so let, let's begin by reading the passage. Um, so First Thessalonians four, starting with chapter or starting with verse thirteen. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through, through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven, from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, 
Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So says the word of God. Um, let me just pray for us one more time. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful Sunday day, um, for all that you've given us, for all that you have provided for us. Um, Lord, I pray that um, as I share this message, um, may the words that, that I give be yours and not mine. And anything that is flowing just from me, Lord, would people forget that, but would they remember the message that you have for them? Would it be, would you be drawing us closer to you? I just pray for your power and for your goodness here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's start by going back through the background of the letter to the Thessalonians. Um, so Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are beginning this missionary journey to the Gentiles. Um, and one of their first stops, I believe, is at the uh, is at Thessalon Thessalonica, um, which is where the Thessalonians are. And so the Thessalonians are predominantly Gentiles. And um, so Paul and Timothy, because they are convicted to share the message with the Gentiles, they come and they preach. And, you know, they're only there for three months. At, but people within these three months are super receptive to the uh, message that they're sharing. They're like, who is this Jesus guy? We love him. <laughs> we want to follow him. Um, and it says in the first chapter that they turned from idols to follow the living and true God. But uh, Thessalonica has a lot of temples there and a lot of um, Gentiles there who are hostile against Christianity. And um, persecution starts to happen to these new Jewish Christian converts. Um, and the persecution is so bad that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy have to flee the city. Um, so basically what, what we're left with is that there's this three-month-old church plant that the planters had to leave because the persecution was so bad. They're still being persecuted. Um, and, you know, they're basically just new Christians, right? Um, so I think the question I want to pose first is, like, what do you think you would tell this church plant? So Paul, being the planter of this church, like obviously loves them so deeply. Um, and, you know, he, after some time, he gets word from Timothy about how they're doing, and he's like rejoicing that they're doing great. Um, but he gets this chance to like say something to them, to send them a letter. And that is, you know, the book that we have today, the letter of First Thessalonians. 
Um, and so the first Thessalonians is only like three to four pages long. And like Paul spends actually like a fourth of that letter. So two chapters or, or like one page of that whole letter just to say that um, Jesus is coming back, right? Um, I think what's interesting is that if I think about what I would do in Paul's shoes, I don't think I would be talking about, you know, the second coming to like this three-month-old church plant. Um, I feel like, you know, they're being persecuted. So, you know, I point them to the cross, like Jesus, he was persecuted. He endured suffering, all these things. I think that's predominantly the message we would give today as a church. Um, so I think like the question really is like, there, ooh, that is not the right slide. Okay. Uh, the question really is, um, you know, why? Why is there this disconnect between, you know, a lot of the theology that we teach these days versus what Paul believed was important. Like Paul thought it was so important to tell them about the second coming that like he spends like two whole paragraphs, which I mean, that's not a lot if you can email, but it is a lot if you're sending a letter. Um, so yeah, why is the second coming even important to us? Important to the Thessalonians, but also important to us. So I want to start by zooming in on a specific part of today's text. Um, so it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, you know, I'll get to that first part in a little bit, but um, I just want to highlight this last verse here. It says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, so um, I'm sure most of you guys know, but like when we read our Bibles, like the word therefore is very important because it implies that something is being connected by causality. And so given all this stuff that he's saying about the second coming, he's saying, therefore, we should encourage us, encourage one another with these words, um, right? So if we go to the end of our passage today, uh, we see a very similar thing where it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, again, encourage one another and build one another, uh, build one another up, just as you are doing. So he says this, he says this basically the same thing twice. Um, and he's basically saying, huge chunk about what the second coming looks like, therefore encourage one another. And then another chunk, and then again, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Um, so basically what I'm trying to say is that Paul thinks that this teaching on the second coming is supposed to be encouraging to us. Um, 
And I think that is something that is so weird and radical to me because I don't think any time I've been taught on the second coming, it's really been that encouraging, right? Um, so I think we're part of the way there to figuring out like what Paul's purpose in this section is. Um, but, you know, encouragement is still this very vague word. Like you can encourage people to do a lot of different things. Um, you know, maybe he's just encouraging us to believe it. And, you know, that doesn't really have that much power. Um, but I think if we begin to look at the, I really don't know how it worked this. There you go. Um, if we begin to look at sort of the context of our passage for today, we can sort of figure out what he's actually encouraging us to do. Um, so if you go back to the beginning of the whole letter, Paul says to the Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. But since we belong to the day, let us be, uh, yeah, so this is at the very beginning of the, of the letter. Um, later on, basically near the end of the letter, which is part of today's passage, she says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So what I think Paul is doing through these two verses and like a bunch of other verses throughout Thessalonians is that he's connecting three topics for us. So we see, I've highlighted them here. There's work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Um, and again, in the uh, second verse, he says, faith and love, and then helmet of hope and salvation. Um, so I think for what Paul, um, like faith and love are essentially rooted in this hope. And so faith and love, we sort of understand and we know and we can live out, but hope is really what underlies this. Like, I think for Paul, we can't really fully live out faith or love unless we understand the hope that we have. Um, and so it makes sense that he talks so much about the second coming, right? Because for him, like, you're not going to be able to love the way that you're supposed to. You're not going to be able to live according to faith unless you have a strong hope. So um, I think the first thing I just want to make clear is that like, we need this theology. Like we need to understand what the second coming is about. If we're going to live in faith and love as our GLC values dictate. Um, so, you know, I wonder why it is that um, so often we've sort of put this part of what we believe in on the back burner. Um, and I think really that's because we have a wrong image of what the second coming um, will look like. Um, So for me, I want to sort of, you know, like portray what that wrong image is. Like, I'm not preaching this to make you believe it. I'm just saying that this is what I used to believe in and what I've believed in for a long time. And I suspect that, you know, it, it's going to be pretty similar for 
a lot of the people here because you know we grew up in the same culture we've grown up um, in the same era uh, so I didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian household um, when I first came here from China when my first parents first immigrated we were looking for a Chinese community um, because you know my parents didn't speak very good English and um, they really wanted friends that they could connect with. Um, so we basically found this Chinese church. Um, and I don't know if that was probably providence from God, but um, I think these churches, they were great. Um, like they preached Jesus, they preached the cross, um, they preached salvation. Um, I don't really remember it very well because I was like, in elementary middle school so it's a long time ago for me um but i think they never really preached a concrete vision of what the second coming looks like um so but you know i wasn't really a devoted christian so i was going to church only like once every week on sundays um, i only heard like parts of a sermon only remembered even less of it um, but, you know, like most people, I would be watching TV basically every day, like most kids, um, maybe some adults too. Um, and, you know, it was great because that was one of the ways I bonded with my parents. But, you know, because I didn't really receive any teaching from the church on what the second coming looks like, most of the teaching that I got ended up coming from like media and TV, basically. Um, so this is probably the clearest <laughs> image of heaven and the second coming that I remember from my childhood. Um, and you can see it's not, definitely not from church. <laughs> this is um, from The Simpsons. Um, it's a very popular TV show. So I, well, I'm, I'd be surprised if you hadn't at least heard of it before. Um, so here it's like this episode where um, they're sort of making fun of like all these different beliefs. Uh, basically Homer, who's the dad and his children decide to convert to Catholicism. Meanwhile, Marge, who's the mom is still Protestant. And here is, I think she's having a dream of what heaven, the second coming is gonna look like. Um, and she's stuck in Protestant heaven where all they're doing is playing cricket and um, badminton and she's looking over at catholic heaven which seems to be way more fun because most italians and most mexicans are uh, catholic so you know obviously they have like a mariachi band they're partying <laughs> the italians have like some crazy family dinner going on and it seems like she's being left out right so since I became Christian, like five, six years ago, like this is not what I believe in anymore, right? Um, I just wanna make that clear. Um, I'm trying to, like, since I became Christian, I tried to like, you know, read into these texts, figure out what they mean for myself and sort of um, leave this image. And, you know, clearly even before I was Christian, I understood that this was kind of like a joke off, you know, right? Um, 
I think like, but regardless of how much I've studied and how much I've read, um, in some sense, like my mind always still jump, jumps to these kinds of images. Um, you know, when we read that uh, God's going to come down and we're going to ascend into the air and meet him there, like, I just imagine that, you know, God's going to come down, we're going to ascend, we're going to find some floaty cloud place, which, you know, that um, we're probably not going to be playing cricket or badminton, but, um, you know, there's going to be justice, peace, righteousness, all these things I believe in now, but um, it still kind of looks like that, like the same general um, shape of the image is still that because, you know, we're in some floaty cloud place, God's there, um, and it's eternal bliss, right? Um, so I think, like, after I became Christian, like, what changed wasn't this fundamental image, but rather just small details. Um, but I want to sort of propose that, like, the image that Paul has in mind for the second coming is very, very radically different from what this is. Um, like, the popular cultural image that we have today of what heaven and what sec the second coming is going to look like is very different from the biblical image. Um, so let's read the section one more time. Um, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming um, of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So again, I just trying to say that when you read this, it does sound like that could be the image that we have, right? Like we're ascending into the air, God's coming down. Um, so it's not at first compatible, but it's not at first incompatible, but part of that is because we're reading our own cultural understanding into this passage. And so what we need to understand is that Paul has his own cultural understanding and because he's the one writing to the letter, he's um, basing the letter in that cultural understanding. Um, and so Paul is a Roman citizen, like he's a, someone of Jewish descent, but he is a Roman citizen and he grew up um, under the Roman occupation. Um, you know, as, as well as are the Thessalonians who he's writing to. So this image is gonna land with him and it's gonna land with the Thessalonians, but we're like 2000 years away from that, which is why it doesn't make as much sense to us. Um, so if we zoom in on verse 13, or verse 15, we see that it says, for this we will declare to you by a word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So what our English translations don't clue us into is that this word coming is actually a very specific word that Paul is using. Um, the Greek word is parousia uh, and like I said earlier, it could be translated as coming, but um, another translation for it is presence. Um, in addition to that, um, 
the word presence or like that uh, translation of this word actually has a cultural meaning behind it as well. So the cultural meaning is that presence can imply royal presence or royal perusia. Um, and so what the royal perusia is, is, um, you know, we're in Rome and most of the high ranking officials, including Caesar, live in Rome. And they're a huge empire that owns all these territories. So every now and then, one of these high ranking officials will need to go and visit one of these um, vassal states or territories that belongs to them. And that occasion is called the royal presence, right? Because they are effectively royalty and they're making themselves present at this other state. Um, so what that looks like is that Caesar is going to come, he's, he's probably gonna ride a horse with like some small army or small um, group of uh, soldiers. And he's going to ride down from Rome towards, you know, let's say Jerusalem. And when there's this, this royal perusia, it's expected that the people who live in Jerusalem are going to come out the gates and meet him sort of just outside the city. And then they're going to go into the city together. Um, this is because if you stay in the city and he's coming down, then you could be sort of implying that you're going to rebel against them. Because if you're going to stay behind your city gates, you might like fight him from your city gates, right? Um, so the you going out, welcoming him and bringing him in is like a sign that you are still loyal and that you're still, um, that you're still um, peaceful. You're not rebelling against them. Um, so I think it makes total sense that Paul is going to use this image for Jesus coming, right? Um, I think there's sort of two things that we can glean from this image. The first um, very standard, Jesus is king. He's basically comparing Jesus to Caesar here. Um, Jesus is the rightful ruler of earth, which is his territory, even if he's not here right now. But I think the second thing that I really wanna point out and stress is what makes it different from the Simpsons heaven that we envision that we saw earlier. Um, so I wanna flesh out this metaphor for us a little bit more. Um, like I said earlier, clearly Jesus is Caesar or King in this metaphor. Um, we are his citizens, um, but earth is essentially the vassal state or the um, territory that belongs to him. And heaven is essentially Rome. Um, so what this means is like, if we go back to go back to the idea of the Royal Perugia is like you go out, you meet Caesar outside the gates and then you bring him in. Um, so for us, what that means is that, you know, we're going to ascend into the heavens, which is ascend into the clouds, which is outside the gates of earth, right? Um, but then once we meet God there, what happens isn't that God is going to take us away to some heavenly blissful place, but rather we are welcoming him back here on earth. So we're going to go outside the gates of earth and we're going to 
greet God there. And then together we're coming back down here to earth. Um, and I think that's, that's very different from the Simpsons heaven because, you know, it's always imagined as like this place in the clouds, but that's not where we're going to end up. We're going to end up back here on earth, right? So it says like, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Um, Paul kind of leaves this last step unsaid because, you know, they have this cultural understanding of what, what's going to happen after that. Um, we're going to welcome Jesus back here. And so I'm pushing this forward as like the correct understanding of what this passage means, right? Um, and I'm trying to say that, I'm trying to give you this image of what the second coming looks like, because I think that a correct understanding of what the second coming will look like will give us an actual love for um, this event that's going to happen. <laughs> um, and like I said earlier, that Paul means for this image to encourage us to have faith and love. Um, and so, I don't think if you have that image of the Simpsons heaven, you're ever going to be encouraged by it to love and to have faith. Um, I think it's only with this image that you will. Um, so how does that happen? Why is this the image that actually encourages us to have faith and love? So I think the first reason is actually quite simple. If where we're going to end up, if at the end of the second coming, what's going to happen is that we're going to come back down here, then what heaven, what eternity will look like is actually a whole lot more like what's down here than what we think is up there. Um, when I was preparing for this sermon, um, there's this one night where I couldn't sleep like several weeks ago because uh, I think this point had really hit home for me. And I was just laying in bed and I was staring at my bedroom door and I was thinking like, you know, eternity is going to look in some ways a lot like what we have right now. And so that means that Jesus could actually walk through my front door, right? <laughs> I think that was so crazy because like all this time I've had this image of like, this vague blissful cloud place. And instead suddenly I'm presented with this image of Jesus just, you know, walking down that street out there and then like coming into KUPC and then walking into here. Um, I just thought that was like kind of, I feel like that was a vision of heaven, a vision of, you know, earth and heaven, new heavens and new earth that I hadn't thought about before. Like, isn't that crazy that like, we actually know what eternity is going to look like in part, um, you know, and maybe at some point I could take Jesus, you know, around my neighborhood. I could take Jesus to like my workplace and show him like, this is where I've worked for the past how many years. Um, yeah. Perugia, um, Jesus is going to be present 
Um, I like that translation of presence because it reminds us that like, he's going to be here. Um, and it's not just going to be present in the Holy Spirit in some sense. And it's not just like this presence that he has always because when two or more are praying, but like he's actually going to be here in like in the body, right? Um, the same way that you and I are here right now, he's going to be present. And I think like this image has had a real power for me because it's an image that I don't have to make up and it's an image that I don't have to guess, right? I don't have to imagine a, some kind of non-physical uh, spiritual reality, um, but it's a concrete bodily reality. Um, and so I think a second reason, you know, if Jesus is going to walk among us here, um, if he's going to you know, come through the doors of KUPC and walk here in the pews, and he's going to walk down the streets of Ellicott City and Elk Ridge and Baltimore. Um, I think a question we have to ask is what, what is Jesus going to see when he makes his rounds? Um, in Paul's day, in like AD 50, he said, he thought Jesus would, would see like people going around and saying, there is peace and security, right? Um, and what this means um, in the Roman context is Pax Romana, uh, like peace of the Romans. But Pax Romana is a false peace because Pax Romana, as it points out several times in the Bible, is a peace which is built upon injustice and oppression and slavery. He doesn't make that super clear here, but he does in other passages as well as John in the revelations. Um, but I wonder like if Jesus were to come today, like, what would he see? And I don't think it would be that different. Um, there's still so much uh, pain and suffering. I've been listening to the news lately, um, just every day, um, because I felt like I wanted to be a more informed individual, and it's been really, really sad. Um, uh, I think prior to me listening to the news, I kind of forgot about the war in Ukraine and forgot about how deadly COVID really is, right? Um, yeah, and like, Recently, this past week, I just heard a story about how Thai musicians are fleeing the country because of the dictatorship, right? Because, of, because they're, um, they can't speak out against the government without fearing for their lives. I think it's crazy, right? Um, so Paul, in some of his other letters, he calls this, you know, the powers and principalities, that this world is still under so much, um, evil and corruption that rules over it. And he calls the sum total of all of these, this evil and corruption, the powers and principalities which rule this world. And so if, you, if we go back to the image of the Royal Perugia, what do you think happens when Caesar comes 
to a territory and it's under control by rebel forces. Um, and what do you think will happen when Christ comes back to this earth and he sees that in part, it's still ruled by these powers and principalities? Well, we know exactly what happens when Caesar comes to a territory and it's ruled by rebellious forces. Like this picture up here is a image of what happened in AD 70 when Jerusalem rebelled against Rome and Rome comes and sacks the second temple and destroys it. So likewise, Jesus is coming to judge, right? But we have to remember that our judge is not Caesar, right? And it's, it's Jesus. Oh, that went the wrong way. Hopefully though, I don't think all that Jesus will see is death and decay and corruption and evil, right? Hopefully, I think, I hope that Jesus is also going to come back to this earth and he's going to see people fighting against these powers and principalities already. He's, I hope that he's gonna see you, know, you and me and Paul and the Thessalonians working in faith to fight against these principalities and powers. See, when Paul looks forward to the future, he doesn't see this angry Caesar coming here just to destroy everyone. Because Jesus Christ is going to be our Lord and our judge. And he's going to see the labor of our love and he's going to see our works of faith and he's going to see them as good, right? Um, he's not Caesar. He's the good and gracious Jesus Christ who is our judge. So all these works that he's gonna see, hopefully he's gonna see you know, orphanages like the ones that Mueller, Mueller built. He's gonna see you know, people fighting against injustice like Dietrich Bonhoeffer against the Nazis. And hopefully he's also going to see these beautiful writings and like works of art, like the ones written by C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Um, and all of these things, all of these really good things that we've built in our lives, that we've um, worked for in our lives in the name of Jesus, I think he's not going to come here to abolish them. I think he's going to come here and he's going to see them. He's going to call them good. And he's going to come and he's going to complete them. He's going to transform them. He's going to make them all new. Um, and he's going to enhance them and, you know, <laughs> um, yeah it's not just going to be it's not just going to be the works and the things that we've made right it's all it's also going to be the people that Jesus has chosen that we've chosen to love like Jesus has loved us right um, two chapters earlier Paul says what is our hope our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus as coming. Isn't it you? And I think what that means is that when Paul and the Thessalonians rise from the dead and meet Jesus and come back here, he's going to take Jesus aside in like, I don't know, Italy, because I think Thessalonica was in modern day Italy. 
he's going to take the Thessalonians aside with Jesus and he's going to point to them and he's going to say like, look at how much I've loved them. Look at how much I've loved them like you've loved me. And, you know, I hope that um, when that day comes, I can also look towards all of you and point to you and say like, look at how much I've tried to love the people of GLC and look at how much they've loved me. Um, yeah, and you know, how much more will this love abound when Jesus makes all things new and fully heals our hearts and bodies? Yeah, so um, that's all I have to share with you guys today. Um, I hope that it made some kind of sense um, and I'll close us in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Um, um, I thank you for just the Holy Spirit, which you have given to us as, as, um, as just part of the promise, as a guide to help us in this time before you fully come back. Um, a guide who will teach us to love goodness and righteousness and to teach us to um, just work in faith and labor and love because um, that's who you are and that's what you hope to see when you come back. Um, I pray for that day when you come back to be an encouragement to us and not to be something we're scared of or something we... Um, are worried about. Lord, you, you are good and you are a good judge. Um, I pray for all of us at GLC this upcoming week that you will, um, that you'll just bless our hands and bless our words, um, that we may be um, good representatives of you and your kingdom, um, as it's already partially here. Um, yeah. I thank you and I praise you. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.